Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Adam Satriano is a tech correspondent for The New York Times. He lives in London with his family, and like many of us, he's had to adapt to working from home full-time. I have created a makeshift office in my bedroom. Every morning, I, I pull out this foldable desk from behind a coat hanger thing that I have and set up a laptop and a monitor and, you know, get a cup of water and all. I got the whole thing. But... About a month ago, he changed the way he works remotely in a big way. He got wind that because of the pandemic and people now working from home, an increasing number of companies had started using employee monitoring software. The technology includes taking screenshots of your computer every few minutes. It includes logging the websites that are visited keyboard tracking, so the words that you are typing, you can set alerts to that. So if you're typing the word resume or something like that, it could set an alert to a manager that you might be looking for a job. And there's others that include snapping pictures with your front-facing camera to basically see that you're at your desk. There is mapping software that tracks where people are going. Despite knowing all that, Adam decided to try it out on himself. And to make the experiment as realistic as possible, Adam also gave his editor access to the data that the software collected. But there was one semi-serious condition. I said, you know, you cannot judge me or blackmail me or fire me by anything that you're potentially about to see over the coming couple weeks. Today on the show what Adam's experiment reveals about employee surveillance software. And could the pandemic make this kind of tool mainstream even after the work-from-home quarantine ends? I'm Ariel Dumras. This is Reset. I used a software by a company called Hubstaff, and they provide a suite of different services, which essentially includes taking screenshots of a computer, uh, logging somebody's hours, logging the websites and apps that somebody's using, and a mobile app that tracks your GPS coordinates. Okay, so Adam gave his editor... Hui Wing Tam, tech editor of New York Times. ...who's also his supervisor, access to the data that the software gathered from his computer and his phone. I guess as, a, as an editor, I'm always asking questions. So I, I sort of went into it with that questioning kind of mindset. I'm like, is this for real? Is this something that people would really use? And then she downloaded it. I got this email, I think the next day, that said Pui Wing has 
logged in and I went sort of like, okay, this is, this is on. I joined the program and clicked open and I was like, oh my God. And not long after that, I just got an email from her that said, wow, this is creepy. There were all these tabs on the left of the screen that said things like timesheets, URLs, apps, location. Uh, And I was a little bit overwhelmed with the number of things I might be able to to click and look at. She could also go in and look at the screenshots. These rows and rows and rows of screenshots from Adam's computer. And I was taken aback. Um, He had just been in a Google Meet uh, conference call with many of our colleagues. And there were really large photos of some of our big bosses um, talking uh, on that conference call. Each morning you sit down and you have to open up the software and turn it on. There's a clock that's on the top of your screen that's sort of just ticking. You know, there's times where I just want, it would be like five o'clock and I would just want to be done for the day. Or maybe it was four o'clock and I wanted to be done for the day. And the clock would say like, uh, six hours, 45 minutes. It gives you a a very granular look at your time management, which was somewhat horrifying in some respects as I looked back on some of the days where you could see how much time you're spending on Spotify or on Twitter, my God. There was a, a productivity score. At the end of each day, after you log out, it tells you this is how many hours Uh, minutes and seconds that you worked that day. And here's the percentage of time that you are quote unquote active. And so they measure that by when you're typing on your keyboard and when you are moving the mouse. And then it sends these these roundup emails every day. So Pui Wing would get this email every day that say Adam worked 9.5 hours or or whatever. And his uh, he was active quote unquote 44%, which sounds terrible. Um, and, um, I was a little surprised by the number. And so that was something we talked about afterwards was sort of like, why were your activity scores so low? What were you doing? The apps and URLs he was visiting got very, very vanilla at the end. So I was laughing at how boring it was looking. I mean, he was watching parliamentlive.tv, which is something I've never heard of, where he was watching MPs talk. And I was like, dude, get a life. It gives the employer, the manager, a lot of flexibility in terms of how deep they want to go into getting a sense of what somebody is doing all day. It felt like being a voyeur, and it felt uncomfortable. It was pretty weird. I mean, I'm as good as the next person at Googling somebody, but this is really a next-level sort of look at what someone's activity is digitally. I didn't look at it very regularly because I did find it to be so overwhelming and intrusive and really, in the end, not a true indicator of what Adam was capable of. So, Adam, I talked to your editor, and it sounds like this was a pretty strange experiment for both of you. Why would you put yourself through all of that? Uh, Because I'm not very smart. (laughs) How long did you use the software for? 
About a month, but I would say I used it diligently about three weeks. Wow. Okay. So this was a real test. This was not, you know, you didn't do this for three days. You did it for a significant amount of time. I went deep on this thing. Yeah. To be fair, I mean, this started as a bit of a participation journalism stunt in a way. But once I opened it up to my boss, essentially, Pui Wing, it still made it a very real experience knowing that uh, she was going to be seeing screenshots of what is on my computer screen, the messages that might come across, the websites that I'm visiting. How did you feel when your editor was asking you questions like, why was your score so low? <laughs> it's just, it was just a weird experience. I mean, it, it, I, I think I had to keep in context here that my doing this was sort of an a total experiment and and my job or performance evaluation wasn't hinging on it. But for many people, they do. And so while while Pui Wing and I could sort of laugh about, you know, what were you doing with your time? For many people, we both realize that's not the case and that they're being judged based on these rather crude um, scores that were being spit out by the software. Did you change your behavior because of the software? I definitely changed my behavior because of this. I was more mindful of the websites that I was looking at. See, again, I knew this was a bit of a stunt and, and that Pui Wing and I have a good relationship, but at the same time, I didn't want to be... It's like, here's a half hour I just spent going from ESPN to some music website to trying to check out what Netflix thing I want to see. <laughs> and then as, as I looked more at the productivity scores that I was getting each day, and I could see... For instance, if I was spending a lot of time on Twitter or some other things, it made me more conscious of not doing that. And then there was there was like really silly things, like when I would step away from the computer to take a break to go get coffee or whatever, I would leave my screen on like a Google Doc because I knew that it would get screenshotted. So I thought, oh, well, this will just look like I was working on some story or something like that. So it definitely still made me adjust how I behaved, just knowing that there was a possibility um, that my editor would uh, take a peek and see what I was doing. You know, it's interesting. You use the term caught three times in your stories. You, you sometimes wrote, like, the software caught you doing certain things. What did it catch you doing? That's funny. You should be an editor. That's too many, too many uses of the word caught. <laughs> so I, I pretty much let the software run all the time. And, and there are ways to turn it off where you want to go do things. But there's times where I would just let it run and I would forget to turn it off. So one time I uh, kept the app running when I took my kids, for instance, on a random day in the middle of the week, I took them for a bike ride. So I came back and it had like a map of me going around Battersea Park in London with them. You know, there's a lot of instances of just catching me going down Spotify rabbit holes. The most embarrassing thing that happened and was when I um, took an internet exercise class uh, in the middle of the day. And I set up my laptop to take uh, this class. Um, <laughs> and I realized that I hadn't turned it off. And so I quickly turned it off. But then later when I went back to check the screenshots, there was this one screenshot from 1130 uh, that showed this woman um, in this Instagram live 
fitness class setting up in her living room. And so it's like, oh my God, that, mm-hmm. that's just one of those things that I definitely did not want my editor to see. <laughs> Overall, what were the biggest takeaways from the experience? Biggest takeaways, one is that having a, a peek into your time management like this can actually be really useful. Two, it should stop there. <laughs> uh, and and that, you know, three, that this is, I think, very dangerous territory in terms of how this gets rolled out. I mean, we've been laughing a lot kind of about this in my own sort of um, jokey experience with this, but this is like very serious and that if this becomes more and more the norm within companies, um, it really further exaggerates the power divide between employers and employees. After the break, Adam explains exactly what he means by dangerous. This is Reset. Hey, it's Tom Warren, Senior Editor at The Verge here. Microsoft is in an era-defining moment. It's betting on AI as the future of work, its Xbox business is going through transformational changes, and the Mac versus PC war is about to be back on. So, I'm launching a newsletter called Notepad. It'll be your inside guide to all those changes and beyond. From details on the next Xbox, to that one time every Microsoft employee named Michael appeared on a mysterious email list. Whatever is happening at Microsoft, you'll be able to read about it first in Notepad every Thursday. Go subscribe now at theverge.com forward slash notepad. So, Adam, where did you first hear about this kind of software? I'd heard sort of rumors about it in the past, and I uh, figured that Wall Street firms and, and other big companies were using this kind of stuff to, to track people's emails. But when the, when the virus happened, I got a sense that this was something that other companies were going to be looking to use. Okay, so the pandemic really is having an impact on how many companies are using these tools? This is getting more common something that was more of a fringe thing that was used in some cases is now becoming much more mainstream. The coronavirus sent people uh, working from home in ways that is totally unprecedented and that companies are now turning to technology uh, to monitor what their employees are doing. They want to see that people are doing what they're supposed to. And for employees, that means being tracked a whole lot more. Is this legal? It is. I mean, the companies who make this technology say that there's transparency around it. Essentially, the the employee knows that they are being tracked when they're hired, and therefore it's transparent. You know, my my experience in this, and, and the more I learned about it, is that the power dynamic clearly leans on the side of the employer. If your condition of working somewhere is based on being tracked, that's not much of a choice. How common was this kind of technology before the pandemic? And was it used in offices or only when folks were working from home? We don't have clear figures on on how widespread this technology was used. 
but you could tell that it was used by Wall Street and, and law firms, a lot of it for compliance and security reasons. Uh, but when I was researching this and I was talking to some of the different companies who make this software, I learned that there was a lot of different other companies that were using this software already. And these were people who were, you know, wanted to keep really close tabs on their people working from home or sales staff who weren't always in the office. And then they, the virus happened and they saw a huge jump in demand. Was that the case for the software you used as well? I used the software used by a company called Hubstaff. They said that their demand had tripled. There was a number of other companies who were seeing similar uh, sort of spikes. And has this software itself, you know, I know there are lots of companies that are working on this, but has it changed to adapt to this new reality? You know, is it getting more refined and more effective because now it's specifically geared towards people working from home? Somebody I spoke to said that they were having to essentially simplify the software that they were offering because you had these new people, uh, new companies coming in who were interested in it. Before, there was companies who were kind of the early adopter types, and so they were much more um, robust in their surveillance, I guess, of their employees, and so they had they were looking for more of the granularity of what people were doing. And now they were seeing a trend is that the companies that were coming on as a result of the coronavirus, they wanted to be able to keep tabs on what people were doing, but not necessarily to get too into the weeds of what their day-to-day lives are. So they were like getting too much information. Yes, at least at first, that's what they thought. I mean, this is a slippery slope, right? I mean, so you start by saying, oh, I don't want to look at this. I don't need all this information. But then you know, two months down the line, you're like, wow, this is this is too good to be true. And you next thing you know, you're clicking through someone's screenshots and realizing that Joe over here is not as productive as Jane over there. And so, you know, I think that it's uh, kind of a gateway drug. The things that you're describing, those seem like huge privacy violations. I mean, we're talking about taking pictures of somebody in their home, taking screenshots from their computer, which they might use for for work, but they might also use for other things. This feels pretty invasive. Are there any privacy concerns here? Absolutely. I mean, there's a whole host of them. And that was one of my big takeaways from this experience was that there's not enough safeguards built into these and that essentially... If you as an employee are counting on the discretion and good judgment of um, the company that you work for, um, that, you know, there, there could be any number of things that could pop up on a computer related to health or financial information, private messages with a spouse, um, the list goes on. I mean, I, it's just... You start to think about some of the things that come across your screen sometimes, and you definitely would not want that to be in some database that your company is storing. Right now, for many companies, this is perceived as sort of a pandemic solution, right? But typically, when a person's privacy is infringed upon in the name of a crisis or an emergency, that stuff doesn't just get rolled back right away once the crisis is over. So I'm wondering, do you think this kind of software is here to stay even once people go back to the office or or once, you know, the coronavirus pandemic is no longer an issue? Yes, I, I definitely think that. A lot of us are going to be working from home much more and companies are going to want that. And so I think that this is just the beginning of this. 
companies need to think very, very carefully about doing this and that there is a great risk of intrusion. But also, if I was a company, you know, if you're setting yourself up for legal liabilities related to HIPAA and, and, and seeing health information or personal information or how this stuff could be used uh, in performance evaluations and things like that, I just think that there needs to be a, a, a real consideration of what you're getting out of this. Right. You're, we're also in the middle of a crisis where people are losing jobs left and right. And so right now, it's not like you can say, OK, well, I'm going to go work for another company because I don't want to use this software. People are holding on to their jobs very, very tightly right now. And so in some ways, this gives companies an opportunity to increase surveillance because they just have more power. Exactly. You know, ultimately, it's something that policymakers should be thinking more and more about in terms of what kind of worker protections that are, are available to them. You know, it's sort of a grim thought that we uh, that we're all, can be these kind of cogs in a wheel that just end up being measured by what's on our computer screens. Reading that article, I I did find it quite startling the amount of information about you that was gathered and. Thinking of that being used on me feels exhausting. And and not only that, but I think I do my best work when I feel like my employers trust me. And so I actually think that this would have a very negative impact overall in the long term on my work. I think you're absolutely right. I think that using this software shows you're starting at a premise of a lack of trust. And the companies who use this and make the software say that that's not the case. But I think for your employees, that is how it feels. And it feels like you are being watched in a way that is limiting to creativity. And it's sort of just trying to keep everyone in their box in a way. So on Wednesday, when the story went out, I went onto my laptop, pulled up the Hubstaff file and dragged it right into the trash. Adam Satriano is a technology correspondent for The New York Times. Adam, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so that's one way that the pandemic will affect the future of work. Remote employee surveillance. But what about the rest? What other changes will this coronavirus bring about? Be sure to check our feed on Tuesday for The Future of Work, Part 2. Because we're going to tackle The Office. This is Reset, and I'm Arielle Duhem-Ross, but you don't have to say it that way. We publish episodes three times a week on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. So if you haven't already, subscribe to the pod. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or in your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. Skylar Swenson and Will Reed produce the show. Amy Drofsdoska is our editor. Our audio engineer is Eric Gomez. Golda Arthur is our executive producer. Liz Kelly Nelson is the editorial director of Vox Podcasts. The mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder composed our theme music, and we're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. We'll be back on Tuesday. Later, nerds. Get a life.